You are on trend with the Alumni Trending Podcast. What's up, trendsetters? I'm Paul Clifford, your host of the Alumni Trending Podcast. Today, we are joined by Chris Vlahos, a senior consultant and principal in the alumni relations practice at Martson Lundy. Our conversation today will focus on the characteristics of high-performing alumni relations offices. The Alumni Trending Podcast is a podcast for advancement professionals by advancement professionals. On Trending, you can expect to hear the voices leading our profession, advancing our institutions, and keeping higher education strong all around the world. Are you looking for new ideas or to recharge your batteries or to be inspired? That's what we hope to do with each episode of Alumni Trending. And boy, today's guest is going to inspire you. After 20 plus years in the marketing and PR world, on the private side, he took his talents to his alma mater at the Alumni Association at The Ohio State University, where he was the vice president for membership and marketing. He then went on to lead the alumni shops, was the, the president and CEO at the University of Arizona Alumni Association, and then at Case Western Reserve, before fully committing to his consulting practice, first under his own shingle and now under the shingle of one of higher education advancement's premier consultancies at Martz and Lundy. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast alumni relations and marketing guru, and more importantly, my friend, Chris Vlahos. Chris, welcome to the program. Paul, wonderful to be with you as well. And just for your listeners, um, I didn't write that introduction. You did, and I'm totally uh, embarrassed, but uh, thank you anyway. It's uh, it's wonderful to be back on the show with you. Well, look, I'm, I'm the president of the fan club, and so it was really easy to write. There you go. I do appreciate that. Chris, before we dive into what, the meat of what we're going to talk about, talk a little bit about your experience in, in higher education. I mentioned kind of what your career path looked like. Talk a little bit about kind of what was driving your passion and some of the things that you love most about the work that we do. Well, you know, first of all, Paul, when I before I joined higher ed, before I joined Ohio State in 2001, as you mentioned, I was in the corporate world for about 20 years. And the corporate world of marketing and brand management and communications, you know, it's all about strategy and metrics and accountability and performance and understanding your target audience and understanding the competition and so forth. It's a very kind of strategic, forward-thinking culture. And then I got into higher ed 20 years ago, and what do you think I found? I found the exact opposite. I found um, alumni associations, even my alumni association, doing the same thing they've been doing for 20 or 30 years, which was having game watch events and putting out a magazine. And I just kind of found this whole lack of strategy, a lack of metrics and accountability. And so as a consultant, this is the thing that's really driven me. And I, I have a great job. You know, I get to go in and help um, universities of all shapes and sizes, public and private, uh, develop really strategic plans, business plans that have been lacking for so many years. So I think that's really the big, um, not even a trend in higher ed, but a movement in, in the alumni field. It's kind of this whole business-like approach that has uh, a focus on metrics and performance and kind of brings us to where we are today. In your response, you asked the question, and do you know what I found? And my response is going to be job security. <laughs> because somebody who comes with that background, right, and, and that experience into an industry that doesn't have it, boy, that uh, you, that's why you've become known as a thought leader and and somebody who was really pushing the envelope in the roles that you held because you brought all this 
real world experience that uh, that you're right. I fully admit as somebody who's grown up in this profession seems to be lacking. Well, you know, when I joined Ohio State uh, all those years ago, and I think that's where you and I met, back at the time, Ohio State was a totally independent alumni office and doing some really great things, but we we really didn't partner very much with the university, certainly not with the development office, because we are independent. Um, Having said that, there were really very few expectations from the university as far as how we should be performing. Of course, that's changed quite a bit. And um, I know that you and some others are still independent, and I think you've probably changed your business model as well. But the whole culture of alumni relations is really changing and professionalizing much for the better. You know, it's actually really interesting that you say that, Chris, because I think the outside world, we appear to be independent, and yet we are a interdependent organization. You know, I, I report to our vice president for advancement here, our vice president for what we call development and alumni relations here at Penn State. But to the outside world, you know, because the strength of the Penn State brand is so strong, we appear to be independent, and yet we are coordinated and and collaborative. Uh, And I think that's why our model continues to work. Penn State Alumni Association, in my view, has done one of the best jobs being the voice of alumni and for alumni as far as the university is concerned. And so whatever you do with your business model moving forward, uh, don't ever lose that at Penn State. It's an important role that we play. I was uh, on a podcast the other day. I said, if I'm doing my job really well, uh, I'm able to be an ear to our alumni and articulate the, the points of view for our alumni on campus to our campus leaders so that they can also have their finger on the pulse of, of what alumni want and expect from their alma mater. And, and I have to be able to do that in a way that represents, as you know, 13 different points of view, not just one or two, right? That's right. There's never an A and B perspective on anything that we do in higher education. Well, it makes the job of a chief alumni officer so, um, so fun, and it really keeps us on our toes too, right? Absolutely. No two days are the same, and that's, that's why we all have uh, fun doing what we do. You know, Chris, I'm thinking back over your career and the variety of experiences that you've had. Uh, And now, you know, when you get to be in positions like you and I are in, we're often asked, what advice do you have for people entering our profession? Well, first of all, if if you are new to the field, and especially if you're new to the field working for your alma mater, there is no better job in, in the world be able to come into work every day and advocate for a great academic institution and to be their ambassador and to be their champion. I mean, it's a wonderful job. But the advice that I would have is that the alumni relations field is at this renaissance moment. You know, we're we're changing quite a bit. We're becoming much more professional, much more strategic. And I would I would advise a new person to come into work every day with a little bit of an edge. Um, to strive for excellence, to read the trades, to talk to the colleagues, to have a hunger for doing really great things. And I guarantee you they would succeed if they maintain that same kind of passion the rest of their careers. So now you're on the consulting side. Your finger is on the pulse of our profession. You get to visit with practitioners all around the country. You get to hear what their challenges and opportunities are. What are some of the things that rise to the top in your mind that you're putting a lot of thought around as a consultant to help your clients get through those challenges and turn those challenges into opportunities? Well, I, it's a really good question, Paul. And I, I think the big thing is that um, alumni offices, and I, you, know, you and I have been in this field for a long time, and I think you relate to this. We are sometimes really focused on our own programming, our own communications, dealing with our own board, and to some degree, we kind of work within a bubble sometimes. Um, The fact is 
the alumni office is responsible for engaging all alumni to advance the institution. And so the thing that I see um, most often, in fact, maybe the challenge is more of a cultural one, getting alumni offices to think beyond the scope of what they've been doing for so many years and do what they can to work across campus and advance their college or university. It's really taking a much more outward looking uh, approach to alumni engagement than ever before. Yeah, if you're not evolving, you're not constantly looking at how you can change and how you can improve. You're actually falling back, falling out of more and more uh, irrelevant to the audience that you're trying to engage, right? What what worked with the previous generation isn't always the secret sauce for the next cohort of alumni that's coming through. And so I think that you hit the nail right on the head there that we we have to uh, continue to look at our programs and ask the question, how does this best support where the institution's going and what our alumni want and expect from their alma mater. Oh, yeah. And so I just think back to when I joined Case Western Reserve a bunch of years ago. Um, I was on campus for a few months and the university unfortunately announced a budget cut across the board. And I was still so new, didn't have a strategic plan yet. But my sense, Paul, is that the stakeholders around campus really didn't have a high awareness of the alumni office. I think they looked at us as those nice people that worked in that beautiful building. They put on homecoming, but we're not quite sure what else. And really, if your brand position is that low and you're going through a budget cut situation, you can become pretty vulnerable. And so we quickly established a series of performance metrics, and this would be about 2011, I think, um, where we demonstrated that as we grow the engagement pool at the university, there's a direct impact on growing the donor pool. Believe me, that got the attention of everyone around campus. We were eventually viewed as a powerhouse organization. It gave the staff and the board a real sense of purpose um, in that they now knew the impact of what they were doing. And so this really enabled us to think kind of globally to advance the university. And when I had um, was asked by the deans to, to serve on the dean's council, I think that was that didn't just happen. Those relationships had to cultivate over time. But I think the university realized that you know, look at this asset we have with the alumni office. And so that's kind of what I see more and more happening these days. So now you're in the consulting world, and I've always enjoyed uh, your blog posts and reading the content that you continue to put out. But one that really jumped out to me was your blog post, The Characteristics of High-Performing Alumni Relations Office. Uh, and so what are some of those characteristics and why did these uh, these handful rise to the top for you? So, yeah, I wrote the article not long ago. It's kind of a refresh of something I did a few years ago that's entitled The 12 Characteristics of High-Performing Alumni Relations Offices. And the reason I wrote this is um, I was getting calls from vice presidents of advancement, whether clients or not, and calling saying, okay, Chris, we, um, we're going through a search for a new alumni director and we have a job description and so forth, but tell us what in your mind constitutes a really effective alumni relations office. And Paul, I had enough clients, enough VPs ask me that question that I just kind of felt compelled to um, to write the article. So if you don't mind, uh, and if we have time, I wouldn't mind going through very briefly the, the list of the 12 characteristics. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's dive right into that. What I love about this too uh, is you give just enough, right? So that that they want to pick up the phone and call and say, hey, tell me more about number one, for example, comprehensive strategic plan. So so it's also a good sales tactic in that it drives people to pick up the phone and, and say, hey, t- tell me more. Yeah, that's, that's part of what we do in consulting. Um, you give people just enough. In, in fact, I've had a, a few of our colleagues, um, years of mine, call me to say, okay, we took a look at the 12 list 
and uh, we only fulfill six of the 12. Can you help us? And so that, that does help happen quite a bit. Anyway, so the, the, of the 12, the first and foremost is a strategic plan. Or um, what I see most in this field is our colleagues will say, Chris, we, we, we take on all this work. We're overwhelmed. Um, we don't want to say no. We go from one event to the next without so really thinking strategically. And when they tell me that, I can almost diagnose to a T, you don't have a strategic plan. And that's basically the case. Um, alumni offices kind of try to do everything. They try to make everyone happy without that kind of essential strategic focus that establishes their roadmap and their priorities. And so I would argue that the first thing that uh, you need to have, if you don't right now, if you're an alumni office, is a comprehensive strategic plan for engagement. So, um, yeah, I, I do see that quite a bit. In fact, I would say in my consulting that probably... 80% of my business is helping alumni offices develop their first ever strategic plan. That's incredible. You know, one of the pieces that was going to be central, and, and you know, I mean, you followed my career and, and that, you know, we've always tried to push the edge utilizing technology to bring people with us and bring people closer. But what was going to be central to our next strategic plan at the Alumni Association at Penn State was going to be a digital first strategy, right? A digital first media strategy. And I see that that is right here on your list and in the second position. Talk a little bit about what you mean by digital first media strategy. Well, I, I knew you could relate to this, Paul, because, and this is not being obsequious, this is the truth. You have been one of the leaders in, in use of social media, and as long as I've known you. So really glad you picked up on that. You know, the original title was a comprehensive media strategy, you know, print, direct mail, digital, and so forth. But the reason that um, I, I reframe this is that this is in, increasingly a digital world. I mean, even before COVID. It was much more digital focused than before, but now COVID has forced us into almost a, a digital first environment, if you will. Um, so, you know, the, the point is that just because you may have a Facebook page does not mean you have a Facebook strategy. Same goes for LinkedIn, Twitter, anything else you may use. And, and so this really compels alumni offices um, to kind of think in a, as much of a contemporary manner as they possibly can. So that's what we mean by digital first. I mean, digital is really going to become your primary media vehicle to reach uh, alumni. You know, you touched on this a little bit in the intro, and I want to jump to this next one, which is a business-focused approach to engagement. I think there are very few shops around the country that actually look at the work that we do as a business. And so I was glad to see that in your top 12 here was uh, a business approach or a business-focused approach to engagement. I mean, alumni relations is a business. Universities are businesses. I mean, it, it, the university president is called the chief executive officer, you know, when it, when it comes down to it. And so if you are an alumni director and you cannot justify the return on engagement, I would take a real, real close look at the programming and the budgets. I mean, there's going to be much more of a focus on alumni offices uh, as far as businesses. What is the return? What is the impact they have on the institution? How are they effectively engaging alumni? To me, this is what I mean by the business-focused approach. And I, I hate to use the word, and I'm going to cringe when I say it, but the F word, friend raiser, we can't use that word anymore. I mean, because that's, yeah, maybe that's, that's an outcome for some people, but we're all about business, and we need to have a business edge as we develop our alumni relations programming. Absolutely. Institutions will choose funds over friends any day. And so while we need to be building 
really strong institutional relationships with our constituents, connecting them to what they love most about our institutions, connecting them to their donor passion. We still have to recognize that that is uh, intentional. That is part of how we move people to action, which is ultimately our, our business plan, right? We want our alumni to act in philanthropic ways. We want them to volunteer. We want them to be advocates. We want them to fill stadiums. And so that's ultimately what we're trying to do is, is move our constituency to action. Yeah. And Paul, you just used a really important word and the word is intentionality. And if I'm an alumni director, I'm going to be taking a look at all of my programming and communications and thinking strategically, what is behind this? What moves the needle? Um, it's not enough to ha just have alumni come to an event. We want them to leave the event inspired to give and engage. That's the intentionality. So two other ones that really jump out at me as I look down your list here is a more centralized approach to alumni relations. And that's followed up uh, by an in sync with advancement partners. Talk about that, that that right there. I mean, nine and ten are talking about the integrated model. Talk a little bit more about what the centralized approach to alumni relations looks like in a, an integrated model. Well, you're right. It's all about alignment, Paul. And what you're describing is the new normal for alumni relations. Absolutely. So let me explain uh, what I mean by a more centralized approach to alum alumni relations. What I don't mean is that the alumni office does not have to do all of the alumni work for an institution, schools, and colleges. That's not what I mean. Deans have their own priorities and agendas. I would never suggest to a dean what to do. However, I mean, you know, we, we get that, right? Um, and every dean I know laughs when I say that. But what I mean by this is the alumni office is not the only enterprise on campus that reaches out to alumni. Schools and colleges do. Admissions needs alumni work, career services, athletics, certainly, to some degree, student programming. And so for all of those entities on campus for whom alumni engagement is important, my question as an alumni director is, what can I do to contribute to their business? How can we think strategically, share best practices? manage calendars, co-promote events. That's really what I'm talking about. And this gets an alumni director kind of out of that box of, well, I can't possibly help the dean of the School of Business because I'm doing my own thing. Actually, Paul, the dean of the School of Business could be a wonderful program for the alumni office who then could could collaborate and, and, and um, co-promote the event. So that's really what I'm talking about. I um, I had a call from when I was at Case Western Reserve from the, the VP of admissions, and he said, Chris, we're going to be in Silicon Valley doing uh, an admitted students event. He said, I know that you have a lot of alumni in the region. Why don't we just make this an alumni event and feature students and bring alumni to meet them? Well, Paul, that is a great way to collaborate, but that meeting didn't just happen. It happened because we had a long relationship with admissions. We were quite a bit together. We compared our strategic plans. And so that's really what I mean by, by operating as a centralized uh, alumni office. Not that you have to do all alumni relations on campus, but if you can raise the bar and make everything better, then so be it. And then the second part, in sync with advancement partners, yeah, it's not us versus them. It's not friend raiser, fundraiser. It's not the dark side versus alumni relations. Um, you know, and I know that, that you and I in our chief alumni position are also fundraisers. And we know that the chief fundraisers are also alumni engagement professionals. And if I also understand that my programming helps move the donor needle, there has to be alignment. And this is something that I think a lot of universities agree with, but culturally it can be very different. So I spend a lot of my time helping 
alumni offices and annual giving offices come together and work uh, as, as jointly as they possibly can. But yeah, the, um, the in sync with advancement partners um, factor, I think is something that, that is uh, going to be very, very important, increasingly so moving forward. And you know, you take the case of my, uh, my old university, my alma mater, Ohio State. Well, when you and I met, I was running the membership program with that way back then. And um, well, the membership program has now gone by the wayside, even though it was very successful. And Ohio State is now part of the institution. It's no longer independent. But instead of managing a membership program, they now manage the annual fund. And, um, you know, it's a totally different business model. But, you know, if you ask alums for $50, they're going to give $50. If you ask them for a more open-ended gift, they'll give more. But even so, I, I, I uh, often tell people that your message has changed. Um, Steve Grafton at University of Michigan, his message has changed. Way back in the day, um, the Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan model used to be join the Alumni Association, period, stop. Now it's join the Alumni Association as one way to make an impact on your university. Volunteer, advocate, be an advocate, go to events, recruit students, make a gift. In other words, it's more of a holistic message that you and Steve and, and the others are saying. And that's really what I mean by being in sync with your advancement partners. Chris, you know, the other word that emerges that you use here a couple of times, and it's a word, uh, it's a topic that I spend a lot of my time thinking about as the CEO of an alumni association. And that's the word culture. And you use it a couple of times here, one around a culture of purposeful programming. And one I was delighted to see there at the end because it it affirms one of the things that my team is striving for. You also have a culture of innovation down here. Talk about the two culture pieces here uh, in your characteristics of high-performing alumni offices. Well, let me, let me talk about culture broadly first. Um, you know that, that universities are very job description heavy, right? We have job descriptions and it's, you know, it's very easy sometimes to say, you know, that's not my job description. You know, we sometimes have that. Um, and so what, what I see often is uh, people will come to work and they'll say, you know, I know what my job is, but I'm not sure where I fit in the big picture. And, and that to me is kind of cultural. It's like the office needs to have a culture of high performance. And so that's what I was getting to in these, uh, in these two areas. So committed to a culture of innovation. Um, let me give you a great example. I was talking to Chuck Harris, the uh, chief alumni officer at the Texas X's. Uh, not long ago. And I said, so Chuck, what, um, as we head into a new decade, what is most on your mind? You know, what are you, what are you thinking about? And he said, Chris, our entire staff has this approach that every single thing we are doing right now will be ir irrelevant in five years. And he said, our culture is we come into work every day um, with uh, a bit of an attitude. It's like, how can we be better? How can we move the needle? How can we be the best in, in class? How can we relate to more of our alumni in ways that we haven't before? And that's really what I'm talking about as far as the culture of innovation. You know, I, I wrote this um, last year before COVID, and I think that the culture of innovation piece is actually even more relevant today. It's coming into work every day and trying to figure out how much better you can be. Um, as far as the culture of purposeful programming, you know, I see this all the time. Um, you have an event that works and uh, it, uh, you do it again the next year, then you do it again the next year. And, you know, alums seem to go away and they have a good time. And 
I can say this, you know, being an Ohio State alum, my wife and I go to a game watch party. Uh, hopefully we'll have those this year, but every Saturday at a, at a local bar and, you know, we cheer for the Buckeyes and dress in scarlet and gray and so forth. Um, I wouldn't say that's all that pers- pers- uh, purposeful. I think it's kind of more functional. But then again, there are other ways that, that my alma mater relates to me in Arizona. They bring some speakers. They have a great career program. And they don't do that accidentally. They do that because they want to make sure that they are reaching us in all ways. You know, I'm a Buckeye fan, as you know, and the Buckeyes are my team. But I didn't go to the University of Buckeye. I went to the Ohio State University, which is, a like Penn State, a great research institution, one of the best public institutions in the world. And there's more to it than athletics. And so the university purposefully uh, does a good job bringing that to me. And that's really what I'm, I'm talking about there. For every event that you do, you have to ask yourself those questions that you and I have been discussing during the hour. Um, what is the intentionality? What is the purpose? What are we trying to get out of this event? Uh, again, do you want alumni to leave saying, I had a nice time? Or do you want them to spring into action? And that's where the whole culture of purposeful programming comes in man that's that's great stuff i know our listeners are going to get an awful lot of out of this uh episode of the alumni trending podcast because of all the great nuggets that you're you're delivering here you know a tradition that we have here on the alumni trending podcast is that our guests get the final word on the profession and so chris you know i know as a consultant you have a crystal ball there or maybe it's a magic eight ball uh, but as you look into that and you look at the future of our profession, what are, what are you seeing down the road for us? You know, a really interesting question you ask right now, Paul, because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen this fall with, with students even returning to campus and how that affects fundraising, how it affects alumni relations. But uh, I tell you this, even with all this uncertainty, I think that those alumni offices that have a plan, that have a culture of purposeful programming, that do take a business-like approach, that are nimble enough to be innovative. Um, in other words, many of the things that were in the article, I think that alumni offices that embrace some of these characteristics will emerge from a position of strength, regardless of how uh, the world turns out in the next uh, year or two. Man, I want to congratulate us. This is, uh, if this is not an example of how uh, two people can get along, me a Penn Stater and you a Buckeye, I don't know if we could set a better example for the world today than, than how we've been able to have this cordial conversation. Well, you know, cordial. I mean, you and I have been friends for many, many years. And, you know, I, as I kind of, as I say quite a bit, when I talk to Steve Grafton, there, there's a way that I end my conversation. And don't tell anyone this, Paul, but whenever Steve and I talk, I always say very softly, go blue. And he responds with a, with a go bucks. So it's just our thing. But to tell you that that while there might be a rivalry on the football field or basketball court, when it comes down to it, our field is all about respect and collegiality, and it's a it's a great place to be. Well, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate you being on this episode of Alumni Trending. I'm John Fudo, Vice Chancellor for University Advancement at UMass Lowell, and I'm staying on trend by listening to the Alumni Trending Podcast. There you go, Trendsetters, another episode of Alumni Trending. If you are enjoying the Alumni Trending Podcast, make sure you go out to iTunes or your podcast app of choice and give us a rating and drop us a review. We'd also love to hear from you. Drop me an email at paul.clifford.com 
at alumnitrending.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and keep trending.